there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. Welcome back, Duel Gang, to Between Lewis and Lovecraft Correspondence, the show where I make friends with people on the internet, and then they get five of their friends to be friends with me, and then if they each get five friends to be friends with me, then we'll all get rich together. Today I'm joined with one such person, a friend of a friend of a friend, who uh, I can't wait to introduce to our cult, I, I mean our, our show here at uh, Between Lewis and Lovecraft. He is an author, screenwriter, video editor, and Dungeons and Dragons player who uh, he has just started the pre-sale for his latest book, The Curious League of Detectives and Thieves, number one, Egypt's Fire. I'm super excited to be chatting with such a cool guy, and hopefully he doesn't see through the thin veil of indoctrination ritual that I'm going to start at some point. Welcome to the show, Tom Phillips. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I I got my uh, my robe and my Kool Aid, and I'm ready Perfect. to join the cult. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, the, followers. The crew. I mean, crew. this is what we're calling the gang. crew. Yes, yeah. crew, gang. I like that because <laughs> you know it sounds like we're gonna rob a bank and not uh, you know try to overthrow try to the government. bring darkness upon the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, uh, say hi to our fans. Tell them who you are. Introduce yourself. Hey guys, uh, my name is Tom Phillips, and I uh, am a writer um, and a uh, armchair sleuth. Uh, mm. I, um, yeah, I've traveled all over the world. I've lived in everywhere, and uh, now I'm here in sunny California, and uh, just about to release my uh, first middle grade uh, novel, Curious League of Detectives and Thieves. Um, Egypt's Fire, and uh, it comes out June seventh, two thousand twenty-two, and uh, it's awesome. It's great for eight-year-olds to twelve-year-olds. So, just a just shameless um, plug there. Shameless yeah, plug. No, that's exactly. what <laughs> I mean, that's the point of what we're doing here is yeah. to get people to to see your stuff. Um, why did you choose this this um, age range to, to okay. write um, for? You know, honestly, I was. Uh, I'm going to do long story short, but I was stuck in a van and, uh, the other person that was watching the van with me, um, his daughter was there for a bit. She's a little kid and she had the, uh, series of unfortunate events book one. Yeah. Um, bad beginnings. It's a great book. Uh, and, um, she left it and I was there in a van and couldn't go anywhere. And I was like, well, I'm going to read this book because mm -hmm. I was bored. Um, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the genre. I fell in love with the with the uh, you know the middle grade and how uh, it's sort of. I'm gonna go on a tangent. I'm apologize, but the the thing about middle grade, which is awesome, um, it didn't really exist when we were kids. It, right. it, we we went from picture book to chapter book to board book to chapter book to what now would be called YA, mm -hmm. and then um, adult books. Right, like we were reading you know c.s lewis and we were yeah. reading uh you know um even tolkien i mean all of us are like when did you read the hobbit eighth grade maybe seventh grade yeah. sixth grade yeah. you know and like now you look at it and you're like what how um, did i read yeah i got introduced to the hobbit at sixth grade and then once the movie started coming out i was in i was in sixth or seventh grade at that point so then i went and tried to read uh lord of the rings and yeah. uh i was like oh no i'm good <laughs> it's dense yeah it's a dense yeah. book uh well and i'm dyslexic so reading for me was really hard growing up sure um 
Um, actually, my older sister used to read to me, um, which is where I got all my storytelling and all my my love of 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 the word. And um, but middle grade started to to really pop up after Harry Potter. So Harry mm-hmm. Potter one is a middle grade. Harry Potter seven is a YA, and you age as you go and you read. Yeah. Um, it's one of the one of the brilliantness of the book. But basically, what happened was that kids parents were like well i want to be cool so i want my kid to read harry potter harry Mm -hmm. potter one uh and then they would get to harry potter three and they're like this is too mature for my child to read yeah so they kind of by by doing so it kind of came up with this new genre which is middle grade which is uh books that are written in a higher level but Mm -hmm. emotionally are for eight to twelve year olds yeah It really yeah. deals with what's going on with them as, as a, to 8 to 12. So do you I play find a lot of it, those themes. Do you find it easier or harder to write in that in that space? Um, it's easier for me because uh, I am a 12-year-old at heart. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, I never matured. I still think farts are funny. So, um, you know. Obviously, farts are funny. So. I mean, they are. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so I – no, I'm kidding. Uh, it is difficult now for a lot of writers to transform because the kids that are 12 today are dealing with things that we dealt with when we were like 18. Like it's, it's a lot, you know? So you, you really have to um, find a way for them to be able to connect to the book, but still also, you know, can't dumb it down, but you can't, you know, push too hard. You know, this is a, a, an odd thought and maybe it's dark, but like, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I had a scare where um, over over New Year's, I went and saw my best friend and his wife. They just had a child, and uh, my wife and I were hanging out with them. And um, he texted me on Tuesday saying, hey, just so you're aware, our other child just tested positive for COVID, so there's a chance that you guys are exposed, right? So that was like it, – it like ruined my day. I like – I was like, oh, my God, do I have COVID? Where can I go get tests? There's no rapid test anywhere. I've got to go figure out how to see a doctor now. And I basically just played the waiting game and tried to figure out, like, okay, am I feeling anything? And I and I haven't yet, so hopefully I don't. Um, but uh, it was, like, it was this terrifying moment where I had to – I kind of had to face my own, my own mortality, right, where I had mm-hmm. to be like – if I don't get this taken care of, I could die. And all of a sudden I started thinking, well, if, if I have it, all these people that I've been around, they could die. And, you know, like it's this sudden thing. And, and this is something we've been dealing with for two years now. Yeah. And kids have to think about that stuff mm-hmm. because it's being pushed in their face. Yeah. And I can tell you now as a 12 year old, I didn't think about that at all. Probably. I mean, cause I think I was, I was, 12 or 13 when 9-11 happened so like up until that moment there was not a thought in my head of the mortality of of life and and its end but for kids nowadays that's just every day well i mean the the advantages and disadvantages of being young you know the advantages are that you uh have no forethought of the future and you think you're immortal and the disadvantages are you have no forethought of the future and you think you're immortal (laughs) you think you're immortal (laughs) yeah um you know we all we all do that like you know sure but they they have this uh the covid really has pressed those questions to pop up and actually um my book i deal with death 
Yeah. Um, my, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the book because why not? Uh, it's about um, a little boy, a little boy, a 12 year old boy uh, named John who lives in the Museum of Natural History in New York City. Uh, yes, New Yorkers, it is called the American Museum of Natural History, but I changed it to New York <laughs> for, for reasons that you will be okay with later. Um, but that's okay. Uh, but he's in the museum and there is this priceless ruby on display. He goes to look at it and he um, gets, he wakes up and the security had gone off and the gas had knocked him out. And now he's the prime suspect of this theft of a, of a, of a billion dollar ruby. So he Classic. has to join up with this zany detective who's been tracking an international jewel thief across the world mm -hmm. and uh, clear his name. Uh, and the kid, John, is living in the museum because his mom has died. He doesn't know his dad and he's on his own. And we really yeah. deal with this idea of loss and, um, yeah. you know, that you can't get it back and how your your actions cause consequences and how to think about those before you do it. And um, Yeah. And, I, and going back to what you had talked about earlier where you had read series of unfortunate events i feel like it's pretty common for a lot of these middle grade stories to try and help kids start to develop that critical thinking of like yeah. look there's a world around you that you don't understand and bad things happen do you yeah think, and do you feel like and, that's common yeah well i think also the 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 thing that i love the most about the um unfortunate events and i mean there's many many things i'm a huge fan uh uh, is that the parents, the adults, not aren't necessarily helpful, right? And that at some point you have to start really deciphering who is your ally and who isn't, and who you should listen to and who you shouldn't. And right, you know, we were raised with you respect your elders, you respect your elders, you respect your elders. But th this new modern day, the kids really need to learn to decipher that faster than we did because we didn't mm -hmm. have the internet. You know, we didn't have, it was, it was harder for, for, uh, I'm going to use the word evil, but just lack a better term, uh, to get in, to seep into our lives as much yeah. as it is for them. Um, yeah. and they face a lot of crazy challenges. You know, uh, my book, the cool thing about my book is, um, stereotypes. Uh, every single character you meet by the end of the book is a completely different, view the the yeah. main characters have a different view of them they all change and so it's the curious league of detectives and thieves he he builds this group around him that are both thieves and detectives and to save the day and by the end he has his found family and he's you know figured out a little more of life yeah um, that's awesome that's super cool and i i love yeah. i love that you know i i've never even thought about writing for middle grade um just because it's it's <laughs> I made a major leap, kind of what you had been talking about in my reading as as an adolescent. You know, I went from reading whatever books that the school was telling me to to reading some pretty hardcore. My my family gave me Christian books to read and mm -hmm. uh, ones that were like very inappropriate for a twelve and thirteen year old to read. You were talking um, like um, what's the what's the really famous one about? after the rapture um left uh, behind left behind yeah i was given left behind books but i never read them um i there are other ones dude there's a whole i mean there's a whole bunch of christian books the ones that i was given um the one that i think of the most is called dead air and it's about a radio dj that um argues with people and then a little girl calls and um 
says that she's been kidnapped and then he thinks it's a joke but eventually finds out it's real so he goes to save her and he finds out that she's been kidnapped by a cult and then her mom has like been in a coma so he has to go save her mom from the cult as well and then you find out that she's been like both of them have been abused physically sexually everything and like and the, this is a Christian book. This is a Christian book. The whole okay. it was part of the Satanic Panic, which we're gonna get yeah. to in a minute. Oh, we're gonna get to Satanic stuff. Panic. Yeah. yeah, it was a part of that whole thing, like talking about like how kids get kidnapped into cults and used and turned in into sacrifices for stuff. And and I'm like 13. I didn't now as a 32 year old. I'm like, why the f- why the fuck would you let me read this book? But like. <laughs> Back then, I was like, this is dope. This is cool. Like, this is epic. Yeah, I just ate it up. And so yeah. from that point on, it was always, it wasn't always Christian stuff. It was just, I read a lot of darker, uh, yeah, more adult, adult books. Yeah. Um, and then I went back and started reading Narnia. <laughs> like, I kind of well, did see, it backwards. I mean, C.S. Lewis, um, you know, he, talking about Christian books, his, he, um, is, it's an epic, epic series that really oh, yeah. follows the, 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 christian path um i i'm an atheist myself but uh that doesn't mean anything i think that people i i respect people with faith and 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 their um views and i think that you know the bible is a super interesting story even if you know whether you believe or not it's it's a it's definitely worth a read um yeah so kids these days deal like my second book so the first book is egypt's fire the second book is called sos it comes out next year and it really deals with um, fame and inter- and the internet, like the mask mm. of internet and how like, you know, your TikTok followers don't mean anything and how you see yeah. people on Instagram and they're super happy and having a really great time. And then when you see them in real life, they're miserable, you know, that it's, it's all facade. Yeah. Uh, not that it's not a great, you know, it has its, its pluses too. I don't want to knock the internet, uh, but it, uh, or podcasts or TikTok or anything else. Sure. Um, but there's the, that danger. So it, we kind of deal with it where we dealt with this like fear of stranger danger and like, which is not real. Um, and like popularity <laughs> in school and stuff. So you got to think about like, how you, everybody wanted long to be popular when they were in, in high school, middle school. Sure. Then times that by a million, because it's not six people who like you. It's 6 million people that you want to love you. You know, it's, it's yeah. big. Uh, the first book really deals with um, finding where you are in the world and realizing that, you know, John isn't, he, he, he's, he's a normal kid. He's not, um, he's not going to get his letter to, to Hogwarts and he's not going to find out that he's the long lost heir of, uh, you know, long lost uh, son of, of Poseidon. Like he is just right. a kid who has been dealt a really, um, excuse my language, a shitty hand. And he right. is trying to, figure out how to get through the world. And then my detective, Todius McGee, who is like a Sherlock Holmes, he has his own issues. You know, Sherlock doesn't have any issues. I mean, he, he does. I mean, he's, he, he does. has addictions <laughs> and what. But, but I mean, like, you know, we have all of these detectives and people that are like, they're the best. They're the greatest detective in the world. And this is why. And, and Todius is really driven for all the wrong reasons. So it's, mm. you know, they grow together, which is really kind of, it's kind of a cool, cool idea of, of, um, kids trying to find their way in the world and figure out who they are and 
and grounding yeah. the characters in your stories you mm-hmm. know like they're real they have real issues that they're actually dealing with it's yeah. it's a good way for kids to realize that there are people like this in the world mm-hmm. um cuz superman like i see your superman in the back but like superman yeah. He it's it's hard to write a Superman story because it's hard to keep him grounded almost literally. Yeah. Um, and so when you have grounded characters, they're more accessible. Yeah. My, my favorite quote about Superman uh, was from the movie Angus. Have you ever saw the movie Angus? It came no, out in the 90s. It's about this uh, fat kid who's good at science and OK at football. And he's just trying to make it through high school. Um, mm. And his grandfather says, you know, Superman isn't brave. He's, mm. he's, he's good, he's strong, he's courageous, but he, you know, you're, I shouldn't say courageous, but, he, but he's not brave because he's invulnerable. Yeah. And he's like the people that are brave are the people that can get hurt and get back up, you know? And mm-hmm. so I think that the, the thing about Superman is that he had, the, the moral lesson behind Superman is that he has all the powers of the gods and he uses it for good. Right. So he uses his talent and his power for good, which in our world a lot of people with power do not sure yeah it's it's a different archetype it's a different you know thing that we're that that theme is going for um but i do like that quote that's that's a good one yeah you should Um, see angus it's a good movie yeah i'll check it out for sure i'm gonna make a note um let's talk about detective stuff so you're writing a sherlock holmes type detective character so i'm guessing you're you're a super nerd when it comes to detective stuff right uh, it's it's what I do. It's what I. Where's the book I'm reading? Um, it's uh, it's my it's my jam. I um, I love Dateline, and uh, my my mom and my dad were both police officers. My dad uh, worked undercover narcotics in uh, Nebraska, in Omaha, mm-hmm. Nebraska, for 16 years, and then he was a sheriff of a uh, little town for a while, and then um, so I kind of grew up in the in the law enforcement um, community which also, you know, today's world, it, I, I truly believe it needs a, a giant overhaul, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, but I saw the good side of that too, but, and I, and I love, I love mysteries. So I was into that. I was into, um, oh man. Okay. So Sherlock Holmes, uh, um, Agatha Christie, um, yeah, I, I, um, Tammy Hogue, who wrote Night Sins. I'm giving you a shout out, Tammy. You're out there somewhere and you're amazing. <laughs> and thank you. Talk about it was Tammy Hogue's is like an adult sort of a romance novel of, of detective detective slash romance novel. And I fell in love with her Night Sins, uh, um, Night Sin, Guilty of Sin. And um, I can't remember what the third one's called, but ah, it's such a good book. What, um, what era? Like, is that modern? Oh, it like is the, that... It, yeah, it was like the 90s. They did like a oh, made okay. for television movie. And then I had to read the books and. Yeah, it's uh, follows this female FBI profiler and she's trying to catch a killer. And I don't want to tell you the twist, but it's so good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I really got into it. Um, I started doing like armchair treasure hunts and things. Mm -hmm. I love solving puzzles and mysteries. And um, my wife bought me for my birthday about a year ago, the catch a killer. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You go online and it sends you stuff, but it's so good because it like sends you real like you get the medical report, you get like a handkerchief, you know, you get like actual uh, items. It feels like you're looking at a cold case. It's so That's good. Cool. Um, Does I it just like being someone who's done a lot of detective stuff and you're in that world, mm-hmm. does it ruin 
stories for you at all? Like, do you, are you someone where like you can put things together faster than most people? Yeah. Uh, my wife gets so mad at me when we watch things. I'm like, Oh, it's that guy. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> uh, but a lot of it also has to do with the fact that just being in Hollywood, just being a screenwriter, like yeah. after a while, I mean, you, you start to pick up on the, the, um, you know, the, the, uh, it's cheating. Cause you have the, the format, you right? Know, like, like the old, uh, uh, law and orders. And I'm about to ruin them for everybody. And I got, <laughs> it was ruined for me. So now I'm going to ruin it for you. Cause that's so how hate works. Spread the ruin. Uh, yeah. But it used to be, it does not anymore, but it used to be the second guest star you saw on screen was the killer mm. every yeah. time. Yeah. So after a while, you're just like, oh, it's that person. Then they started getting guest stars that were like really famous. You're like, and if Julia Roberts is on it, she's the killer. You know, like yeah. they're not gonna, they're not gonna waste that, that, that acting. You know. Yeah, um, I remember watching Facebook. one with my dad a, a, a long time ago, and Robin Williams was the guest star. Oh yeah, and he obviously he ended up being the bad guy. I think yeah. it was like, I don't even remember what he was doing, but he was the bad guy, and I just remember being like. Why would they do Robin Williams dirty like that? What the heck? He's like yeah. the best. Yeah, Robin's <laughs> I like so I, I wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Martin Martin Short was like that. He yeah. he played a psychic on one of the Law and Orders, and he was incredible. But yeah, also I, I was like, why are you doing that. that to Martin Short? Um, murders only murders in the building right now. Steve Martin, yeah. Martin Short, um, Selena oh Gomez. Yeah. Selena Gomez. I my brain blanked. I saw her face, and I was like. Please don't be mad at me, Selena. Uh, you're amazing. Uh, it's so good, but yeah. it was one that I didn't catch who the killer was until probably the second to last episode. And I was like, oh my God, like maybe two seconds before they revealed it, I was like, oh no. And then they revealed it. Yeah. And I was like, oh no. You know, <laughs> so that's a great series. Steve Martin does no wrong, though. I mean, their writing is incredible. Yeah. I'm, um, uh, my wife and I are on the second episode of that right now. So um, we're, I think it's we've been in a crazy space just because yeah. we're we're getting ready for our first kid. So we're like we want to watch shows, but we're way too nervous and anxious to like pay attention to them. Yeah. So we're putting all the ones we really want to focus on. They're all on the back burner right now. Yeah, yeah. Wait until six, seven months in when your kid starts to sleep and you guys are up yeah. and you're like, uh, no, just kidding. Yeah, um, that's, exactly that's cool. Right. Though. Congratulations. Thank you that's very rad. much. Um. um Oh, I was going to say, you were talking about the formula of stuff, and uh, yeah. I've been, you know, I've been watching sitcoms my entire life, and mm -hmm. I love, I love sitcoms, and so when I started my, my series that I'm doing, I really, I started with, okay, here's the idea, it's going to be a fantasy sitcom how the hell do I write a sitcom? <laughs> like I've watched so many of them. I should be able to do it. And so I started looking into it and, you know, I ended up finding a few people that were resources of like, here's the sitcom formula. Mm -hmm. And then you look at like Dan Harmon, who took that sitcom formula and made it even better. Yeah. And, and flipped it. Yeah. yeah. And so you look at all of that and now I watch sitcoms and I just, I literally will pick them apart as I'm watching them. Like I'm on my, I finished Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm on my third oh, viewing so of New Girl. So, like, I can see, great. like, oh, this is their setup. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is their setup for plot B. This is their, you know, their attempt and failure, the the no but or yes and setup, and then the, you know, final try and whatever the result is. Yeah. And 
And so now I watch them and I do that rather than like laughing and enjoying them. I'm like making notes in my head or something of like, oh, I see how they did that. I can implement that into my writing. Yeah. So. Well, and the, the format for mysteries, I, I love I, all those are great. I also did you um, good place is a really great um, twist on the on the on the sitcom, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the rule is that you, you have to know the rules for you to break the rules. Right. Right. And when people break the rules and they don't know the rules, then that's when it goes wrong. Sure. But if you know the rules and then you're like Dan Harmon, you can flip it on its side and then it's okay because you know what, where to, to bend and where to break. Um, but in Mysteries, the format, you tell the story forward through the detective's eyes. You plot the story backwards through the thief's eyes or the murderer's eyes. So you start oh, okay. with, with them getting caught and then you move backwards to them killing the person and then you figure out where they go wrong as they go. But then when you tell the story, then you start writing from beginning to end. So you plot from so, reverse. So, yeah. So when you're starting, you start, you abs like the absolute start is this is the moment the bad guy gets caught. Yeah. Cause, cause the thing is, this is that you start with who's the bad guy. Right. Right. You, right. you have to know who the murderer is before you plot your, your murder. And then you kind of go, you go, okay, well, why did they do it? Which is the, the, criminal monologue at the end of of most books you know where sure. they admit or the detective says you did this, this and blah blah, yeah. blah 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 and they they monologue um and then you go backwards and you go okay well how are they covering their tracks what are they doing to get there what are the clues they left behind yeah um sometimes i'll jump to the crime scene if it's like a murder thing and then figure it out i'm like okay this person was stabbed um and then you know what what's left behind and where I'm at, where I'm how I'm gonna pepper it through and then I go mm -hmm. back from the back and plot backwards and then I go forwards on, on mysteries um and then like there's a lot into mysteries people don't think about like weapons right so like your how someone is killed is emotionally attached to the the killer so mm -hmm. there's this old saying like women poison right uh, mm -hmm. it's a it's a stereotype but women poison and the reason why they poison is because they're eating you from the inside out the poison is so their hurt was you know usually it's like a betrayed lover and they're like okay well i poisoned my ex-husband because he was cheating on me because she was being eaten from the inside out so then she kills that way you know or like sure they say that like knives and things that penetrate are a sexual thing or you know strangling and and um blunt objects are a fit of rage where like mm -hmm. a gun uh is usually a planned methodical killing you know and right. if you have because you have a distance from the person you're the the murderer has a distance both right. mentally and physically and so the gun is they it's not the same emotional as as a knife sure you know? um you, now like those is that the sort of thing where that's uh if someone's reading a book and that's how it happens. They're going to be like, oh, this is a metaphor for that because they used it, those. A, a lot of times. I think that people okay. need, I think a writer should think about that. I think that, yeah. you know, it's really easy to be like, oh, he was shot. And they're like, oh, well, I pulled the gun out and I shot him because I was mad. You know, those kind of things. But it's, I think it's a deeper, you know, story if they're, if you connect it to the emotional side of the character. Right. Um, so it really depends I love, on the writer. I love stuff like that where in movies and shows where, I love the color of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, right. I've pointed out to my wife a lot of times where I'm like, I'm like, oh, these these characters in the show, 
they're going to disagree the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why, why do you say that? And I was like, because one's wearing red and one's wearing blue and yeah. like they, and throughout the whole episode, they're wearing red and blue as they're arguing. And then at the end, they end up wearing the same color. And it's not like, you know, a full like Puma track suit of the same color, but it's like, they're like yeah. in new girl. Milk. It was, it was Jessica was wearing a blue dress and um, Nick was wearing a red flannel. And it's like that, those, those, clashing colors and then at the end of the episode she was wearing a green dress and he was wearing like a, a dark green shirt or something like that yeah they match and, the, you know uh, i use colors in my book that's a very m night Shyamalan thing to do too um uh, uh the village did that people. really well <laughs> well I, I see dead people um six cents six cents so yeah. the, the he he puts color there he uses a color red to to show who's dead and who's not like it's it's really interesting um i in my book the main thief's name is the mauve moth okay um and then toadius mcgee the detective is always in blue he wears a blue bowler hat and a blue suit and and blue but um it's the reason why i went with mauve which is purple you know um is because this idea of red and blue being opposites and we use red and blue all the time to mm-hmm. be uh you know from even like just the most blaring one is our government right we have red states and blue states yeah and the reason why the mauve moth is purple is because they um are sort of in between the worlds you sure. know that's that's kind of the the big thing is that everybody's sort of in between like even even john he's he's not he's a mixed race because he's not white he's not black he's he's in the middle Everything yeah. is kind of, you know, and that thing. So I use color to um, kind of show the emotional state and the moral state of uh, the um, the characters. Not to say that red is bad and blue is good. Um, yeah. It's more just one is one and one is the other. Yeah. It's more binary. <laughs> like, yeah. it's literally just... Yeah. It's this, the opposite. In, in, in my in my case, actually, blue kind of equals good, and red kind of equals like blue equals the police, and red equals the the um the criminals sort of. But uh, it's because my favorite color is blue. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with like the thin blue line or blue states or anything like that. It's just sure. I like the color blue, and I always wanted to have a blue bowler hat, so that was my color and then red was the opposite color right you know yeah. technically orange is is the um yeah contrasting color the... but orange is just so, such a weird word to say so i i didn't do it yeah and red. it's easy it's easy for people to swallow that of red versus blue thing so mm-hmm. red versus orange you're like why yeah. wouldn't you just do red it's like oh well because according to the color wheel you know yeah. you have to do that whole spiel yeah it sounds exactly like something I would do at a family party and just yeah. argue with people. Like actually, actually, the opposite of red is green, but that's besides the point because yeah. it's blue and yellow together and this primary color. I could go into it forever, but uh, <laughs> get a color wheel. You'll figure it out. No. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with, with mid-grade, too, is it's like how many steps does a yeah. kid have to take, right? And it, especially it, the, the balance in, in a mystery for middle grade is hard because in a mystery, you know, the more intelligent you are, the more educated you are, the more steps you can follow, mm-hmm. right? But with kids, they're, they, we, want them, we want them to be able to solve the mystery, but we also don't want it to be so easy that it's easy to solve the mystery. So yeah. I, do a lot of, I do a lot of red herrings. I, I have people guessing yeah. 
who that's that's gotta is be so hard, man. Man. Like, and and I like that you've kind of talked about the formula because I had no idea. And honestly, uh, I'm really happy that you explained that because I've had ideas for uh, things that are not necessarily mysteries, but they they have an element of mystery in them. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna legitimately take the advice yeah. that you've given and I'm gonna apply that to some of the stuff I'm writing right now. I'm also a, a plotter. In the book world, we have plotters and pantsers. Yeah. Pantsers are people just write. And plotters are people that plot everything out. I am a plotter. Um, I plot my chapters to what's happening in each chapter. Like I am yeah. a, a real major plotter. And it gives me the freedom then to do whatever the heck I want yeah. when I want to do it. You know, I can just... Are there just a lot don't... of detective slash mystery pantsers out there? I don't know. And if there are, find me, because that's super interesting to me on how you're yeah. just like, well, I decided my mom, my, I shouldn't say that. My mom is, um, she's writing a uh, cozy mystery, which is, um, you know, like an Ann Perry uh, um, mystery um, where it's it her her um, protagonist is a, you know, 65 year old woman. So it's like mm-hmm. Angela Lansbury kind of stuff. And she's a pantser. Uh-huh. She should be a plotter mother but she's a pantser and she'll be like like i'm like all right well who's the killer and she's like well it's either this guy or this guy or this guy i haven't decided which one yet and i was like how how are you gonna decide she's like oh the book will tell me and then when she came up with who the killer is like it was amazing and i was like oh you know i could never do that but i think that she actually like halfway through she's like okay this is the person i want to settle on and then she sort of plotted things out but I know yeah, Hannah yeah. will probably need to listen to this episode and maybe I need to get you in touch with Hannah because um, she has been writing uh, a few mysteries and she had me like Hannah and I met because we were critique partners in a writing group here in town. Okay, cool. And uh, and we realized that literally nobody else in the group cared at all about the stuff that we cared about. And so we were like, all right, well, we're just going to do our own thing. And then we started you know, talking more and more. And then we're like, let's do a podcast. And so we did. And so she had me starting to read her book. I was like, I was critiquing her book. And then like halfway through this mystery novel, she's like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to send you any more chapters. Cause I'm just, I need to put it away. And I'm like, you can't do that to me, Hannah. You can't do that to me. I need to know yeah. who did it. Yeah. You can't you can't you can't cancel the series right before you, you tell us who the killer is. That's just yeah. not fair. Yeah. So she, I have a thing about that with Hollywood. Version. I'm like, I think if they have a mystery like that, like like murder and the and only murders in the building kind of thing, like the the studio should have to say, Okay, we're we're we are committing to a mystery. If we air one episode, we're airing the whole season. Like yes. they shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to cancel halfway through. Even if I'm the only person that was watching, <laughs> you put the mystery out there. It's your problem, your money loss. That tell me who you the killer need, is. You guys need to have it on your website so we can go watch it whenever yeah. we, we need, we want. Yeah. You know, don't do that to us. Don't do me dirty. Yeah. That's there's mean, this, man. There's this sci-fi series called surface and it was like in the nineties or two thousands oh, or something. Okay, okay. Um, and it was on Netflix, and I was like, oh, this looks good, and it was like two seasons, and I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll watch it, and then they canceled it, and it ends on like a huge cliffhanger, and I still don't know what happens, and I've gone online to see like if the writers of Surface would be like, oh, this is where we were going, you know, so they could like get some closure. It's not there, so if any of the writers of Surface are, are part of this podcast, you could just I... uh, send me an email. 
I watched the first episode of this. I remember that because my, it was like this big thing that this uh, this little monster thing came out of the water or whatever. Yeah. My friend Michael Greeby was in it. Guy I went to college with and he was great. Um, nice. It was like his first like big thing and he's awesome and they people should cast him more because he's an excellent actor. <laughs> um, I should say friend. I went to college with him. I don't know if I, if he would consider me a friend. Like we, we've hung out a couple times but not like buddies we just we were in the same class but yeah god he's good um nice. he's sort of cool too i'm gonna give a shout out to mike because he um in college he was sort of passed over a lot people are like mm-hmm. uh you know whatever and then he went to hollywood and he was just like he's amazing and i'm like you know just goes to show you don't listen to what people have to say because he should have been cast way more yeah um uh, I, I mean I, i'm trying talented. to i'm trying to look him up right now but uh i'm not gonna find him because i've got too much going on on my windows um so Uh, oh go ahead no go ahead i was just gonna ask you know do you do i i know you play D &D, so do do you run D? do you do you You know i have dm'd however uh our home game as they like to call it uh right now is being dm by Jarrett sullivan the dapper dm from from fables uh Jarrett and i have been He's my best friend, and we've been best friends for 20-some years, probably now. Um, nice. We met working at um, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company in Times Square, New York. And <laughs> we've awesome. been friends ever since. Um, and Jess, his his uh, fiance, who's also on the show, um, mm-hmm. one of the best characters in the show, actually. Uh, her and I went to college <laughs> together, so I, I introduced them. And nice. They, um, yeah, yeah they're, I, they're I like have a hard time. Respect. They're coming over today to play Mario Party, so it's gonna be fun. I um, have a hard time listening to not a hard time listening to. I love listening to Fables of Refuge when I'm at work. the The hard time I have is anytime Jess starts talking as Tazu, uh, and I have to talk to a coworker, and I I automatically want to do the accent that Tazu. she does because I she's, love it so much. She's so talented. I mean, like Jess, like her her dialects are insanely good and yeah. she's 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 uh recent years have been breaking into the voiceover things and they should everybody should cast her she's oh i super agree. talented have, she's also one of the chance s- to listen to our like our special halloween and sci-fi episodes at yeah all? yeah oh yeah she's incredible yeah, yeah. so it's insane. and ali is it, it did some stuff for you guys too that mm-hmm. I, I love them a lot um jared introduced me to ali and and carmichael um david carmichael mm-hmm. um Jarrett and Carmichael working at Corridor, and um, yeah, I love them. They're like my family now. Um, I've adopted them, uh, <laughs> whether they want want me to be or not. In fact, I played Santa two years on their Christmas yeah. episodes on Fables, and uh, it's hilarious and fun, and I, I love them. They're awesome. Um, Jess, uh, back to Jess. She's one of the smartest people I know. Yeah. Um, Jared is 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 an an amazing DM because he's the most well-read person I know. He's read every book in the world. I feel like, like he's such an epic world builder that I envy him in his ability to just create. Um, he's so good. Uh, yeah, I, I have, I, I love him and also hate him because he's just (laughs) so smart. In fact, he's the guy I call when I'm like, I'm stuck. What do I do? And he's like, well, you know, you know brandon sanderson yeah. and did this magic and you know <laughs> he's like pulls it out and like i just watched the wheel of time on 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 uh, uh on amazon. amazon 
Yeah. yeah and uh, I called Jared afterwards. I was like, okay, what's what's real? What's like the book? What's not? Should I be reading this book? What's going on? And he's like, oh, Tom, sit down <laughs> while I teach you the world of magic. Uh, Let me get my blackboard out and explain yeah. this to you. He's so cool. Um, but yeah, so I, I DM a little bit. Um, I've been playing since 1988. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I was eight years old when I first started playing with my friend and his brothers. Um mm-hmm right in the height of satanic panic yeah uh which is hilarious by the way that everybody's like D D will make you summon demons they're and now they're crazy. like the other day i was in uh uh, uh some like quickie stop uh we were in indiana and they there was like a nerds pack it's like nerds gummies so it's like gummies with nerds on it and it was mm-hmm. the D collection so what? it said dungeons and dragons and the little nerds had like little swords and little helmets on and then what? you could use a QR code to get a one shot of the nerds D and D thing. And I'm like, nerds D and D what the heck's happened? We used to summon demons and now, now it's just candy. Now, now it just summons diabetes. uh, (laughs) Sugar rush. Yeah. It's it's the sugar panic now guys. Um, I like, yeah, yeah. I, I fully understand. Like, like I said, I read books that came out of the satanic panic and like, um, they const. I mean, every single one would talk about like you know if you if you listen to rock music and if you drink alcohol and you play Dungeons and Dragons, then you're gonna end up summoning demons and joining cults and yeah, committing and, suicide when your character dies and all of this stuff. And- yeah, you're gonna go full Tom Hanks and uh, um, the. I think what what was able to counteract that was the guy putting those books in my hand was my dad. Yeah. Um, and he and his friends played. They played yeah. in the eighties and you know, and and they played in their garage and like even my grandma was like, I don't like that they play D D because it's I think it's evil, but I would prefer them to play here where I can yeah. watch them than than in somebody else's basement where they could do sacrifices. <laughs> yeah, my my dad was my dad was sort of against D D, so he started playing riffs. Okay. Playing yeah. riffs, right? Which is way more complex of a of a of a system uh, it's mm-hmm. crazy too complex and places but um and then one day i was like i don't understand why i can't play this game but i can play this game and then he looked at the books and he was like oh just do whatever you want <laughs> and i was like okay and then we played dungeon dragons forever That's so awesome. we used to like sneak dungeon the dragons you know most kids are like i don't want my dad to find my my porno magazines i'm like i don't want him to find my dungeon master <laughs> guide i'm gonna slide this under my bed where he'll never look <laughs> he's a detective but he'll never look between the mattresses um no oh, man. yeah uh i, well, I was D&D. gonna ask i was gonna ask like in in your dming if you had or or if you see it happening does the the formula that you use for writing detective stories does that work well in D? well i think D is a pantser kind of thing yeah like the dm plots right they like figure out the puzzles and stuff so as a dm i can kind of kind of make a mystery i can set the clues and hopefully the characters will follow them but you have this but yeah you have this (laughs) the the thing with it is it's it's a the dm is a plotter sitting at a table with a whole bunch of pantsers yeah which is if Every DM sort of understands me now, right? When I said that, because it's just like, how are, what is this? What are you doing? No, what are you doing? Okay. (laughs) Guess we're doing that, you know? 
Like they're like you become like your own dad, or you're yeah. like you know what, do whatever you want, do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah, I'm like the whole mission has been to find this ruby that's worth a billion dollars, and they it's in the next room, and they're like you know what'd be more fun? Let's go down this cave and see if there's a snail. Like that's a joke from our home game because Jarrett laid out this like we were in this cave and he had laid out this big thing and there was like a slime trail. And one of the characters was like, maybe it's a giant snail. And then, like, it took over. And all of us were like, yeah. let's follow the giant snail. And he was like, I literally yeah. put that so you would go the other way. <laughs> we're like, let's look. Forget let's saving go. the world. <laughs> let's go see if <laughs> there's a giant, giant snail. snail. Yeah, that's classic, mm-hmm. man. That's we run into of, that yeah. all the time with the, uh, uh, with our game on Players Guild. I had this this whole thing set up for them, the main story. Um, and I had just given like a little bit of, of fuel to a character's backstory, you know, to mm-hmm. go check out after the, the other stuff is done. Yeah. But they were like, nope, this is the most important thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't have anything prepared. So I kind of ran it. But then I ended up um, deleting the episode. It got deleted because it never got saved after I recorded it. Mm-hmm. So it was like all of that stuff was completely wasted. So then I used that in the story and kind of warped their memories and stuff. And then basically gave them a little pat on the butt and said, all right, go back to the main story. And then they've never trusted me again. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's some back and forth with that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a thing. I hope this is recording here. Are you recording? Uh, uh yes, like yes, I am. Okay. Sorry. I was just, you just said that. And then I was like, oh no, did I not record? Uh, let me go look at that really <laughs> fast just before. He put fear in my heart. Uh, the power of words, man. Um, the other thing Jared did when we first started, this is funny, is that he would have bad guys and they would always have pipes and like be watching us from the thing, smoking a pipe. So yeah. pretty soon we were like, are all the bad guys? It was like, does he, <laughs> like, is somebody watching us? And he's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, I'm looking for a man with a pipe. <laughs> so now it's become like a joke where he'll be like, he's smoking a pipe and all of us are like, oh no. And then the guy's the help, you know, he's, he's like, here's your money. <laughs> we're like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All bad guys have pipes. Um, yeah, I think that Dungeons and Dragons really helps you. I mean, it's it's so helpful in so many ways. But as a writer, it really helps you like get the voice of characters because yeah. you're sitting at a table with a whole bunch of other people and you get their thoughts and things. And then when you get to your writing, you're like, this person's chaotic. You know, this person is is not. Uh, yeah, I think it really helps. I also base all of my characters off of my friends mm-hmm. um in fact toadius toadius mcgee my nickname in high school was toad so that character was named after me and then john randall borhog my basically we went on a river trip in our junior year we'd go on a river trip for two weeks with our junior class mm-hmm. and we got animal nicknames and my three best friends like there were four of us that grew up together and it was me they called me toad and john randall randall um his first, his first name is john but randall uh they called him pig and tanny they called um goat and scott they called moose so mm-hmm. my my main four adults that help uh, so john randall borhog is named after my friend john uh, randall davis uh and then toadius is my nickname and then the great goatini um <laughs> who's a the world's greatest uh cat burglar and and worst stage magician um, and then the prize and retired boxer who now owns a speakeasy, Scotty Moose. And, uh, nice. so like I got my characters that my four main characters are based off of them. And then, uh, Toadius's love interest is, uh, Polly Pickles Chronopolis and, uh, 
Polychronopolis is the longest name in the English language, and Pickles was uh, is a I had an ex girlfriend um, who actually started me on this journey to write this book. Uh, she loved Pickles, so mm. I I ended up calling her Pickles. Although the character has changed from her personality, it's it's not really her personality, but the name was for her. She's nice. a really fabulous actress too. I'll give a shout out to her. Her name's uh, Nikki Tomlinson, and she's um she's incredibly great, super talented lives in Georgia now with her husband and um, uh, still acting and being incredibly great. Um, nice. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's how I build my characters. It's really like sitting at the Dungeons and Dragons table and being like, Oh, this is how this person talks. And this is how this person sounds. And this are the words they use. And, you know, words are power. Like um, a couple of things I always say, if you're writing a novel or a screenplay or anything else, every word should matter especially in a mystery every word matters if i say you know i walked up the stairs or i or she slumped up the stairs that could be a clue right so like every yeah. word means something um and i'm i'm obsessed with this uh my my I'm going on a tangent. I'm sorry. Here we go. On a tangent, uh, which is funny because the, narr the, time, so the narrator in my book, which I will never tell anybody who the narrator is into the last book of the series, but um, it's a mysterious narrator, sort of like Lemmy Snicket. Um, yeah. And he goes on tangents all the time. And that's probably because I go on tangents. Uh, but I love the beginning and ending of books. The first mm. sentence and the last sentence are, are super incredible. If you study and look at them and find like the symbolism of it, uh, Sorry, my mom's calling me. I'm just going to hang up this phone. Um, like, my favorite writer of all time is Charles Dickens. I love yeah. him. Uh, my style is stolen from Charles Dickens. My style is stolen from Lemmy Snicket, which is stolen from Oscar Wilde, which is stolen from uh, uh, Charles Dickens. Sure. Uh, Charles Dickens was the original um, satirical, yeah. unreliable narrator. Uh, but The Christmas Carol. So... The beginning of the Christmas Carol is the very first sentence of the Christmas Carol is Marley is dead to begin with. Mm -hmm. And the very end of the Christmas Carol is God bless us one and all. And it really follows Scrooge's transformation because Marley in the book is Scrooge's really his closest friend. Sure. And he's dead. And he doesn't say the narrator doesn't say Marley, you know, the best friend of Ebenezer Scrooge died in the loneliness has overcome him. He says, Marley is dead to begin with. Like, I'm just going to pass off the fact that this man is dead. Right. Because Scrooge doesn't care about anybody. Right. Right. But at the end of the book, God bless us one and all. Tiny Tim says, suddenly Scrooge cares about everybody sure. because he's gone on this journey. It's really Charles Dickens is amazing at it. Um, Tale of Two Cities, you know, it's the mm. best of times. It was the worst of times. And at the end, it's a uh, far, far better place I go. It's a, or it's a far, far better thing I do than I've ever done. It's a far, far better place I go than I've ever been. And mm. it's that, that duality of the very first line, which is, it was the worst of times, it was the best of times. And now he's saying, I finally did something great and I'm going somewhere greater. It's yeah. that thing. So it's, it's such a cool, uh, you know, Lemmy Snicket does it too with the fortunate events. He starts off with like, don't read this book. This is a terrible book. Don't read it. Yeah. Uh, if you want it to be happy, don't read this book. And he ends with like, 
you know, maybe maybe it wasn't a fortunate. All the unfortunate events weren't unfortunate. Maybe this brought us all to this place. Like it's yeah. it's the journey of that. Uh, yeah, my book starts with uh, most detective stories start with a phrase such as it was a dark and stormy night or the moment she walks through the door. I knew she was trouble, but this is not most detective stories. Nice. And then it ends with um, them going on their next adventure. I'm not going to quote it because I want you to read the book. Yeah, you don't want to give I it did away. The same thing. Yeah. We need to. We need to. But it's the journey of John, it. where it's like this is not. He does not belong. It actually starts with the, my my first chapter. Actually starts with a run on sentence, mm-hmm. and I did it on purpose uh, because it shouldn't be there, and right. John shouldn't be in the in the. He has no business being in the museum. He has no right. business being there. So the sentence itself is a run on um, that I did on purpose. And then the last thing is him finally figuring out where he's at. So, yeah, um, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah, I love it, man. That's so cool that like that you put that much thought into. I mean, because I when I'm writing, I generally just throw words on the page so that I can get the story out in my head. Yeah. You'd have and, to do your vomit draft first, and then you have to right. go through and, and, and craft. And then you go back through and edit. And yeah. that's that was a big thing that I learned from Stephen King's on writing, mm-hmm. where he's like, you just you just write the damn story, and then you can make it a good story mm-hmm. afterwards. And yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I totally agree with that. Um, it's like taking a big ball of clay and throwing it on a table, and then you kind of get the shape of it, of what you want, and then you go back through and do the detail. But if you just right. do the detail you end up having this large amount of thing you didn't calculate for. And right. then it's, it doesn't fit. It doesn't well, work. And, and his workflow is, is really interesting too, where he says, you know, he writes it and then he puts it away for however long he needs to. Like mm-hmm. that to me was always, I, as, a, as a newbie writer, as someone who was just coming into it as, as a 25-year-old who just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to be a writer now. Like... I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, I didn't have a process. I didn't go to school to learn any of that stuff. So I just kind of started writing. So I would write a book and I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's done, you know, and, and this is it. This is the book. But Mm -hmm. to, to start reading other people's takes on how they do it and to find that gem of write your story and put it away and then come back to it when you don't have, when you're not emotionally attached to these characters to the story yeah. and you can you can make it better at that place and i and i really genuinely have started to do that more yeah well i wrote i wrote um curious league i finished it i was like this is it this is the book and then i started working for uh reading rainbow for rr kids um uh-huh. as an editor and there was a guy that worked there named mike matola and mike's like let me read your book and I was like, ah, I don't know. It's not good. He's like, let me read it. So he read it and he goes, this is a C book it, with an A story. It could mm. be an A book if you do these three things. And I was like, oh. So I went home. I talked to my wife and she was like, yeah, you should rewrite it. You should go for it. So I did. And originally the um, the little boy was an adult and you can't have that middle grade. So I had to do this writing exercise. The what if, what if he was an adult? What if he was a kid? And how does that work? And then why is he at the museum and all these things? So I rewrote the book. Um the the people at at, at our kids lavar burton and sangita patel and, and them have been pushing me they've been guiding me my entire life now it feels like it's it hasn't been that long but it feels like my entire life um i got a lot of really good insight but mike matola said that a character has to go through three trials mm. um and it was something really interesting to me because i never thought about it but if you he uses indiana jones as his um uh 
example. Example. But if you look at Indiana Jones, he goes through a physical trial. He fights a guy. Fist fights a guy, right? And then he goes through a mental ch- trial, which is like figuring out where the Holy Grail is. Mm-hmm. And then he goes through a spiritual challenge, which is choosing the Holy Grail. So like every character goes through that physical, mental, and spiritual journey. And if Somehow, you look back yeah. through the the hero's journey and stuff, and you look through Tolkien and you look through stuff, you know they all they all do it. You know, Bilbo yeah. does it, and Katniss Everdeen does it, and you know. And I was like, oh, I'm really missing that. I was missing the um, the spiritual side of it, mm. which really then pushed it to this, you know, the found family, and it really pushed it over the edge, which is yeah. why it's such a good book. Um, I think I don't know. I think it's a good book. My editor thinks it's a good book, and she hates everything. So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Allison, I love you. No, uh, Allison Weiss, who is my editor at Pixel and Ink, is the most incredible person. And my agent, Ann Rose, I have to always give him a shout out. Ann picked me out of a pile of nothing and then fought tooth and nail to get my book made. And she loves it more than I do, um, mm. the book. And she's incredible so if you're looking for an agent send to ann rose at the prospect agency she's the best um and if she doesn't take your book then there are other agents that are also good uh but uh yeah yeah uh, man. so, so, so rewrote i know it and rewrote I... it and rewrote it and rewrote <laughs> it until it was perfect and then sent it out um artists, at, at what point did you send it out i mean like were you oh. were you done were you like, this is the end? I'm I'm done writing this thing and rewriting it. I'll send it out. Or were you like, oh, I can delic- see where this can go. This delicate balance. Okay. So my advice to writers is write it so you think that it's ready to be published, that no uh-huh. other word needs to be changed. Okay. <laughs> and and then also <laughs> and also uh, find somebody you trust to read it so they can tell you when it's ready to be published or not because either you're too early or you're too late. Like some people rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and it's never good enough. Don't be that person. Some people are like, I did it in one pass. Ha ha. I'm a genius. Give me my JK Rowling money. Uh, But they, (laughs) and it's not ready, you know? Yeah. So it's a lot of that. Like make sure you, you know, find something you trust to read it and say, yeah, it's ready. And then send it to your agent and realize that when the agent picks it up, they're going to give you a whole bunch of notes to change. Yeah. And then when the editor picks it up, they're going to give you a whole bunch of notes to change and you have hills to die on and hills not to die on. And my editor actually, she was like, if there's anything in this book, you don't want to change. If you don't like any of my notes, just say no. It's your mm-hmm. book at the end of the day. And then I read her notes and we're like, damn it, they're all perfect. Yeah. Um, because she's brilliant. Um, and most editors are. They know what they're doing. They've done this before, you know. Mm-hmm. Love what they do the for a living. <laughs> yeah, so like take their expertise, you know, like, yeah. you know, if 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 they're not an editor isn't going to try to destroy your book. The editor is trying to get your book sold. So they yeah. know they understand and they work. And if they don't understand your book and they don't get your book, they're not going to pick it up because right. they're not going to get it. And I had a I look, I had a, like 163 agents reject me. Yeah. Reject my book before and pick me pick me up now Anne was the 37th agent that i sent to um and it took her longer because she read the book yeah um to 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 do it but i did i sent out to 163 agents before somebody picked me up and then i have no idea how many editors Anne sent to before it was bought um she won't tell me and i don't want to know 
<laughs> I just tell everybody it was the first one. She's like, I sent it to Allison. Allison was perfect, and that's it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. it's great, um, it's perfect. And rejection sucks, but that's just part of our business. And like, you just have to get over it. Because I say like, uh, writing books are like speed dating. Finding mm. agents like speed dating. Like yeah. you, you go on Tinder, right? You, you you swipe left, you swipe right. You meet somebody, you're like, hey, that person's attractive. I should go out with that person. And then you go out with them and they go, I don't like you. Or you're like, I don't like you. But it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with their yeah. preference and what they want or what they're feeling. You know, they're, they could be like, hey, I dated, you know, you know, I've dated 10 white guys with, with, uh, with glasses and a beard and I don't want another one. You know, right. it's just a thing. It has nothing to do with you personally. So it's just like next if they, if an agent goes, I don't want your book, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to work with you anyway, so <laughs> let's move on, you know? Yeah. It's a lot like yeah. dating. And then when the agent picks up your book, it's like being in a relationship. You know, sure. now you're, now you, you are committed. You have given her your pen to wear on her jacket. That's a very old reference. Um, <laughs> you know, you're going steady. And then when she sells the book and it goes to the editor, then it's like you're married. Then it's a yeah. marriage. Yeah. because the you you're you're tied together forever you've had a baby and even if you hate each other and you never want to talk to each other again you still got that kid so it, it becomes you know it's a relationship um sure. so find someone who loves you and gets you and knows you and, and and likes you because you don't you know you don't want an agent just because they're super popular and and have 100 clients and they rep jk rowling and stephen king you want an agent who reps with tom phillips right like sure. they they you want to be there Stephen King so yeah. that's what I found also Anne Rose uh, who's my agent has all of her clients were all on the chat together and they call themselves the Rosebuds because we're buds of <laughs> Anne um, and we all help each other we we share yeah. each other's posts we read each other's books we you know help each other move we you know that's awesome send presents and secret Santas and stuff like we're really like a family and that's awesome yeah. because I really needed like guidance i'm not very good with the whole social media thing and yeah me some of them I, I, I really am not and i like having people like i've got a, a group of people that i talk to quite a bit and it's nice to have people that you can kind of lean into when you need yeah it. Well, and you guys are like on on uh on instagram um yeah. but not really on twitter right yeah and say i'm on twitter but i'm not really on instagram <laughs> I just I I found there to be a lot of toxicity in on Twitter and I didn't oh, yeah. need it. You know that's and... wh- that's that's why I'm there because I like to just <laughs> dive into live it. in the swamp <laughs> and just be told I'm stupid all day. I'm a masochist. No, um, the the writing community in Twitter is really not toxic. It's everything else oh, that's, that's toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, that's I mean I was gonna ask earlier you I you have a theme of dealing with toxic masculinity in, in your story. And I, I was going to ask, did that come out? What, like, did you go in going, I'm going to write about this or were you I writing did. it? And you're like, Oh shit, that's what this is about. No, I, um, all of the things I write, everything from screenplays to everything, uh, is designed to fight that toxic masculinity and that stereotype. And, um, mm-hmm. I talk about this a lot, but, it's okay to be masculine, right? It's okay to have a beard. It's okay to drive a truck. It's okay to love football. What isn't okay is to be toxic about it. And the difference between masculinity and toxic masculinity, for all you people who haven't Googled it yet, um, is that toxic masculinity hurts other people. 
So when your masculinity is hurting someone, it, it becomes toxic, right? So if I'm like, oh, you're fat and stupid because you're a nerd and I like football and you don't like football, then it's toxic. Mm -hmm. But if I'm like, go Broncos, they're the best team in the world. Like that doesn't it's, apply it doesn't to matter. Also. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter. care. Yeah. Um, and there is toxic femininity, which is um, we talk about all the time, right? All the time we talk about how the industry wants girls to be sexy or like the ads and body images and what it is to be a woman and whether you're desirable or not. Right. And sure. a lot of people say there isn't a toxic femininity, but there is, uh, we talk about it all the time, uh, to yeah. a point where our Barbies have changed so much that they have every shape, size, color, skin, uh, quality. Uh, there are, you know, missing limbs, disabilities. They have really done a great job. He-Man has just gotten more muscular, <laughs> right? So, like, we don't we don't talk about that. We don't talk about how Batman per perpetrates violence and how yeah. if you cry, you're not a, a man, and if you feel, you're not a man, and you have to be the strongest and the most badass, and you've got to, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not true. You know, the most powerful mutant of all time is not Wolverine. It's Professor Xavier, and he's in a wheelchair, yeah. Right. We don't talk about that. So in my books, I really talk about toxic masculinity. I, I really feel like the only way that we are going to have a better equal society is if we tackle the the problem with the people who are in power, which are white male, the white male demographic, which is us. Right. Sure. Um, and the only way that we can do that is if we as white males, uh, white cis males um, fight for the rights of other people. Sure. Instead of holding the power, we got to be Superman. We got to use our power for good. Yeah. And that's why Superman isn't toxic. He doesn't have toxic masculinity. It's quite the opposite because he uses it for, for good. Um, so in my book, uh, cause I cleverly hit it. Um, <laughs> there are the 12 or the 37 rules of not being a, a douchebag. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there are 37 <laughs> rules of being a detective and mm. Todius is teaching John the rules of being a detective. Mm -hmm. uh and they're they're it's clever hidden so like rule number one is um you get the most uh information from an interrogation in the silence mm. right which sounds like oh, okay so i'm supposed to really pay attention to the person and their their physical cues uh to to really find out what they're looking for well mm -hmm. if we turn that into teaching our young men to listen to the girl that's across the table and more importantly than to listen to what she's saying, but also see what she's, uh, her, what her body language is saying yeah. that will help out a, a whole lot with a, like this, like idea of what consent is and, and what mm. they want and what they need instead of being like, I'm going to fix this yeah. because you're hurting. So I'm just going to fix it. It becomes a, um, uh, how do I respond? How, who are you and how do I fix, you know, like, how do I help? What, what do you need? Yeah. And be able to, to read it. Um, I know like my wife and I were dealing with that where we, we were arguing about what we're going to name our son. Um, and it's been an argument that we've had for like 10 years. Uh, since we started dating, we've been arguing like uh, one day when we have kids, what are we going to name them? And now it's real, right? Like it's yeah. actually happening. So it's become a very, it became a very big 
um, argument between us. And it, and it, you know, uh, of course, with every argument between a couple that's been together for long enough, that argument starts three other arguments that all start, you know, grabbing other things that we have issues with. And so at a certain point, it, you know, I realized that, that I was the one that was causing this because I, I was refusing to fully listen. I would listen enough to hear a point she made so that I could argue with her, yeah. right? And yeah. so it got to a point where I realized I'm doing that, I need to stop, I need to actually listen to her. And it was just the process of me saying back to her what she was going through, what mm-hmm. she was thinking, what she was, yeah. and not me saying in a way like, this is what you're thinking. It was literally like, I want to make sure I hear you. I want yeah, to make sure I'm, to, I'm, I want to understand what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm going to say back what, what, how I understand it. And then you can tell me whether I'm wrong or not. Yeah, so I can understand you. Yeah. And, and we yeah. did that for about, about four hours of us doing it because it was not just this one issue. It was all these issues. And they also, and, and all of a sudden I realized like, there's so many issues that we've been holding against each other and it all stems from these, these main ones. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to get through that and so um it all it was all because we we had a specific idea of what we were going to name our son. If we were having a daughter, we mm-hmm. would not have had these conversations. Yeah. It's, right? it's, it would've, uh, we would have been whatever it's we both are fine with the daughter's name. But it's because we were having a son and my wife had just found out that day that we were having a son and she hadn't told me yet. So that's why it had become all this stuff. So it was like I, I view it as, and you know, I am a Christian. Yeah. I, I do view this. Yeah. It's like, God gave us this test. He gave, not even a test, but this thing that we had to work through mm-hmm. and he humbled me because yeah. of it. I had to stop being, you know, bitter and contradictory. And I had to start listening to her, paying attention to her. And I had to shut the hell up so yeah. that I could get over this problem. And it's hard. And it's hard for us because we, as men are, we're, we're supposed to have all the answers, right? We're supposed to be the provider. We're supposed to be the hero. Like, that's all we're told our whole lives, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, every book, every story is every the story, man has yeah. to solve the problem. Yeah. So, but women aren't a problem to be solved. Uh, I actually make a joke about how women are, 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 um, it, John in my book says, Todius, are there any, cases you haven't solved and he said other than women uh three <laughs> and then he like goes through the cases um you know it's death and and these things and he's like in this one random thing because i do three things i'm always like something serious something sort of fun funny and then something completely bizarre that makes no sense whatsoever sure. uh that's just how i write um so uh and i, I talk about how women are aren't they're 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 the worst case because they're like a they're a mystery wrapped in a you know chocolate shell and and of confusion and and he's like are you talking about tootsie roll pops and he's like yes uh one one of the mysteries is how many licks it takes to get to a tootsie roll pop and then he makes this comment about things and he's like are you talking about put tootsie roll pops or women and toadies is like yes yes uh because they're not they're not a mystery to be solved they're very women women uh, are humans and humans are easy it's very easy to know what a woman wants you say hey what do you want and if she says i don't know it's mostly probably because she has been told whatever she wants is not that that she shouldn't she shouldn't enough yeah not important enough 
Yeah. So then you have to like kind of get into it. So it's a little bit of prodding, but yeah, once you talk to someone you love and you come at it with love and compassion and humility, you know, which is what the Bible is all about, right? Or the teachings of Christ are all about. I shouldn't say the Bible. The Bible gets kind of violent. But uh, the teachings of Christ are all about, right? Is to be humble and to and to come at a, at every problem with with uh, with love instead yeah. of anger or despair or fear or whatever. Yep. Which is the problem with our country right now? Everybody's solving things with fear and not with love. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I hate that. They're like, "Oh, you wear a mask. I don't live in fear." And I'm like, "No, I wear a mask because I live in love." Like, yeah, uh, I don't care. Worst case scenario, I got a piece of piece of uh, paper over my face and uh, I don't have to smile at you. Like best case yeah. scenario, I'm saving you from dying. Like what's the it choice? Goes, it even goes, uh, I loved it when we did our episode on, um, the fuck, what's his name? The, the guy that wrote Moby Dick, um, Herman Melville. Melville. Yeah. And in Moby Dick, he writes, you know, I, I like to, I like oh. to be a sailor at sea, Hold on, not a captain. What's that? Am I frozen? Oh, you just went, you just like blinked out for a second. Oh, okay. You're not anymore, but you are. Gotcha. Um, but he, he writes, I like to be a sailor at sea, not a captain or, or a mate or anything. Cause I don't need to be in charge. And some people think that sailors get abused by their captains, but in the grand scheme of heaven and hell, what is it to be abused on a ship for a couple of months? And I like, yeah. like that blew my mind. Just that yeah. idea, because when I read that I was working jobs where I had to like fight for every day. I had to fight for some respect, you know, from people. Yeah. And then I was like, but what does it matter? What is yeah. it? So wearing a mask now, it's like, it, yeah, I wear a mask because I'm supposed to show love to people. Yeah. But what does it matter whether it's right or wrong? It, I'm just doing it out of love. Yeah. Well, like I'm, I'm like, I'm super liberal, uh, but I don't believe in mandates. Like, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think people should be forced to do something. Right. Um, I don't think I should have to force you to care about your neighbor. <laughs> like, I think that's right. sad. You should just I think it's sad. It. I think, it, I think that we, we, we're, we have an argument about what is right and wrong instead of like, you know, what is, what, what is compassionate and what is not, yeah. you know, I'm saying if you don't want to go get the vaccine, if you don't think you can trust science, then, you know, fine. I also feel like if you get COVID and you don't have the vaccine, you shouldn't get to go to the hospital because you don't trust science. So you fine. you don't trust the scientists who uh, but, make the vaccine. But, you know, you look, uh, I get it. I don't trust Big Pharma either. They're all about money. It, it is, I totally understand it. All I'm saying is that instead of going at it as fear, instead of saying, oh, what if this thing is going to kill me? What if this thing's going to you know, hurt me? What if this thing's going to cause my children to grow an eye in the back of their head? I think people should be like, what if it saves my neighbor? You know, yeah. what if it, why do we, why do we have to have a negative on it? Why don't, why, why are we so negative? Why don't we put more positive? But that's, that's a digression. Um, my book, so back to toxic masculinity, <laughs> which is, this all comes right back to, uh, is that, um, we have to teach our young men to live in compassion. Yeah. And if we do, we will stop or at least slow the violence and the, uh, um, I'm gonna say the violence, the violence towards women, the, the violence towards trans, the violence towards, uh, people of other races, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because we have more compassion and the other side of that is telling us that people are trying to take something away from us. That's their message. 
they want to take away the the sanctity of marriage they want to take away you know your money they want you to pay them to sit around at their houses they want they want they want but the truth behind it is is most people just want to live they just want to be happy yeah. you know if 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 you give if if you know it's like your job if you are happy at work it's not work i know that's a cliche but it's true yeah but if we have societies where there are groups of people that have to work four jobs to put bread on their table mm-hmm. you know then yeah so let's give people education let's give people hope let's give people love and and i guarantee you the human race will will thrive prosper yeah yeah prosper it's a great word um but anyway so yeah so my book is really about that it's about being and, and little girls could read the book and still get things out of it it's still you yeah. know the funny thing about the 37 rules of being a good detective is it teaches you to be a good detective teaches you to be a good boy teaches you to be a good human so you know mm. girls can learn from that too to watch sure. and look i mean they they do it a little bit more than that comes naturally or or societally you know we teach girls to do it faster and um to listen before we do yeah. with boys but then I mean, you can still learn the lesson yeah so it's not I don't know if it's not exclusively watched, a boy book uh have you watched the show love on the spectrum on netflix no i haven't um, uh i need to. highly highly recommend really really good and what they they constantly talk about and i think this is one of the things they really wanted to push in as a you know like a learning thing is it is harder for people it's harder to see autism in girls than it is in boys makes sense because girls pick up on social interaction faster and better and even if they don't know why they're doing it they will still do it mm-hmm. and so uh, most girls who have autism unless it's an extreme case of of um, low functioning autism if they're even you know slightly high functioning a lot of girls don't realize they have autism until they're in their late teens or 20s when they start to go see a therapist or a psychologist for all these problems yeah. that they have and then the, they're like hey we think you should get tested you might have autism and you might be autistic and and then and then once they find that out and about themselves things start clicking and they can a lot of them talk about how much happier they are knowing that mm-hmm. not because it like it's a part of their identity but because it starts to explain things that they couldn't explain before yeah yeah my nephew um he's eight and he he's autistic and he's so funny because he's always like don't take people's happiness away that's how he tells you whether he's sad or not sure or if he feels like you're hurting somebody's feelings yeah he'll be like and i'll like say like i call his mom short all the time because she is she's short and I'm like, what's up, shorty? And he's like, hey, don't take away mom's happiness. And I was like, that's hilarious, but also a really great lesson. Yeah. No, in this situation, my sister knows she's short and she's okay with it. Uh, but yeah, because <laughs> you teased her enough to where she has to be okay with it, right? No, she's <laughs> so she's brothers brilliant. Do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm her little brother. I have to, I have to pick on her somehow. Uh, she's brilliant, and she's the reason why I write because she um read to me everything from peter pan to uh harry potter yeah um, and, how, uh, how did I, you how did you make that transition as as a writer i mean you you said earlier you deal with dyslexia and, and that mm-hmm. your sister read for you where did that transition happen i fell in love with the written word my junior year in high school because i had an english teacher named jan powell 
and she taught symbolism. And I realized at that point that books, because I always love movies, right? I always right. love stories. I always love listening to stories. I just don't like reading. Um, and I love comic books, huge comic book nerd since I was a little kid. Um, but the symbolism of things made me go, ooh, this is more interesting. This isn't yeah. just a stupid story you have to read in English class. This has like hidden things. So the detective brain in me was like, ooh, where are the clues? Let me yeah. Let me figure that out. So I fell in love with reading, and then when I went to college, I was um, in an Elizabethan acting class with a professor named Peter Ivanov. Uh, it's a Shakespeare class, uh, and we did Shakespeare and we did Commedia dell'arte. Um, and in the Shakespeare thing, he said, "Hey, I notice you close your your left eye when you read." And I was like, "Oh, do I?" And he's like, "Yeah, um, are you dyslexic?" I said, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> and he's like, I think you should be tested. It's a thing that, that dyslexics sometimes just do. And I would get words backwards and stuff, you know, because I'm dyslexic. So it's really hard, especially with Shakespeare, because they're not words that you know. So your yeah. brain isn't putting the word in the sentence. Right. Um, so I did. I was a sophomore in college, and I went into the, the, the college, and they had a thing, and they tested me. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're dyslexic. And I was like, well... Wow. Wish I would have known that all the way through school because <laughs> that would have helped out a lot. Years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. So then um, by the time I found out my brain had kind of fixed everything because your brain does that. It starts to rewire oh, okay. your synapses and things. Um, I still, you know, I switch uh, um, letters and I switch words, which is not common for both. Like sometimes you do one or the other a lot of times and I, so I'll, I'll read something and switch the words around, mm. um, which is great unless we're playing word games. And then my wife's like, okay, take a deep breath and read that because that didn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> but I fell in love with the written word. And then I was like, oh, you know what? There's so many people like me that need that, like, they, they need a book that they can read and would love, like Harry Potter. Harry Potter's great, right? Yeah. But if somebody read it to you, so I'm dyslexic, I, I can't really read. My parents are trying to help me. So my parents read me this book and then I fall in love with it and then I want to read it myself. Mm -hmm. And then then you find the love of reading. LeVar Burton at uh, LeVar Burton Entertainment at Reading Rainbow, he says this all the time about how we have to help kids become self-choosing readers. Mm -hmm. So if your kid wants to read graphic novel, great. It'll, it'll you know blow up they don't don't make them read something because making somebody read and and teaching them to love to read are two different things yeah um self-readers it's a really interesting topic but uh yeah so that's what my book is my book is written so a parent can read to a kid an older kid can read to a younger kid the mm -hmm. middle kid can read on their own when they want that thing an adult can read it and kind of laugh about it because it's got a lot of um I was really influenced by uh, Peter Bogdanovich, who just passed away, um, and um, he he directed uh, one of my favorite movies called What's Up Doc. If you haven't seen it, it's hilarious. But he's like he's that. a comedian. Uh, it's uh, Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Um, wonderful movie. Uh, Bern uh, yeah. Um, can't think of her name now. It's her. It's oh, her okay. first movie. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I've never seen it, but I, I have seen people talk about it. So yeah, it's a great movie. You should you should definitely see it. It's hilarious. It's just absolutely insane and wacky and weird. Um, so I have a lot of like, you know, a lot of slapsticky things, a lot of wordplay, a lot of jokes that will go way over the kids' heads. 
my agent likes to say it's the Pixar of children's books because it has a little bit for everybody. Yeah. Um, I just, I also, I don't talk down to kids. I hate books that they're like, you know, and then, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't want to, I know I'm never going to talk bad about any other writer. So I'm not going to tell you books I don't like, but um, a lot of mid grade is for very young readers and it makes total sure. sense to me. And I'm like, I hate it. I want it to be, I want to use Better. stretch words. I want people to, you know, yeah. Have to I go want, pick up a dictionary and find out what it means. Yeah, I want kids to go to their parents and be like, "Mom, what does this mean?" And their yeah. mom's like, "How did that get into that book? Let's burn it!" No, <laughs> Satanic Panic. It's coming it's back. Good. Don't read that. It'll summon a demon. Ha 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 ha. No. Um, <laughs> What's a Necronomicon? <laughs> e two. No. Uh, ec- what is it? Ec- Nect- oh. uh, necktie. No. Um, yeah. I can't. Covers <laughs> nailed it that's that's one of my favorite favorite movies actually army of darkness uh i uh used to do in college i used to do b movie night on friday nights we'd have margaritas and and watch b movies and it was like you know mm-hmm. killer clowns from outer space and yeah. army of darkness and those kind of things which is also camp is uh definitely in my book i don't it doesn't take it serious there's a talking monkey there's a a chase scene with um they're riding horses and rickshaws and Nice. Stray dogs and motorcycles, and they have an umbrella fight on the top of the uh, Chrysler building, and it's it's silly. It's like uh, Willy Wonka meets uh, Sherlock Holmes. So nice. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's super cool. Yeah. Um. Um. Did you have anything else you wanted to you wanted to chat about? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what's your favorite D and D class? Oh, favorite. <sighs> and also know I'm going to judge you by this. Yeah. This is. I have realized that I enjoy multi-classing more um, just because I feel like it tells a better story in mm-hmm. a character. Um, and so I, I will generally multi-class. Um, I, I used to, it was always monk when, when 5e first came out, I played like five monks in a row. I just, yeah. I loved the monk class. It. I loved all the subclasses. I'm playing a monk right now, actually. Yeah, I I just I love that. And then um, I played uh, a paladin and enjoyed being Batman through that a little bit. Um, and then and then I I have recently started playing sorcerers a lot, mm-hmm. um, just mostly because of the aberrant mind subclass. Like the second that I was like, oh, I could be a Cthulhu sorcerer. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm gonna be forever for <laughs> now on. It's very Lovecraftian uh, of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't know, I don't know that I have a favorite. I, I definitely have a least favorite and that's Bard. And it's only because I feel like every Bard is played the exact same way. And I hate that so, so much. Jess Ayers in our home game plays a Bard, a half orc Bard named Zelchka and she's shy. Yeah. What kind of Bard? uh school of something i don't know i don't know yeah but she's shy and it was always it was a really funny bard twist on the bard for me because usually bards are like super charismatic and sleep with everything and really funny and she was like hi guys i'm gonna play my loot now you know like she's she's awesome but jess just makes she makes great character choices um oh oh i also i um i god i love so many freaking and carmite Carmichael, David Carmichael, C Mike is DMing. So we have three DMs in our home game. So Jarrett uh-huh. does a DM, 
and then Carmichael does the DM, and then my wife Autumn is doing Strahd. So oh, we like nice. switch off. Yeah. So I'm currently playing a uh, monk in Jarrett's game, a uh, mouseling rogue in Carmichael's game, and a um, ranger in the Strahd game. And uh, uh, Carmichael is he's such a fun player because mm-hmm. he's he's sort of he's like i'm gonna say chaotic but it's it's like a focused chaos so yeah. like one of the characters on Jarrett's game he plays this fairy named sprinkle sprinkles <laughs> sprinkle sprinkle and the fairy it's it's kind of like having the genie like he's always like using press digitation to turn into things so he's like mm-hmm. wearing like a little you know safari hat and he's like let's go like kind of thing and he's <laughs> hilarious uh and and um ally is uh she likes to play darker characters, which is really fun. Yeah. Uh, and then my wife, uh, Autumn, is playing a druid uh, named Gilly, and she's like super, like extrovert. She's like, "Hi, yeah. I'm Gilly," all the time. And like our team, it's so fun. They're just so, they're so crazy that to keep up with them is is a thing. Although my mousing rogue, I got I was I was asked by the team to to bring down my chaos because I was. I made him New Yorker and I like okay. and I say things all the time like yeah it's like it's like my uh, my cousin and his is his four boy turtle is four boy turtles he's uh, you know the kind of thing I was like they said nice. something about we got in darkness and they're like got blinded and I was like oh no now I'm like my three uncles <laughs> look out for the carving knife and I was like shut up Tom but That's it's awesome. just really fun yeah we, we have a really good time it's kind of our thing we play every Sunday um, or try to play every Sunday yeah uh, yeah, I so, I run I run games for uh, the local bookstore on Sunday. So after I oh, get cool. done with this, I'm going to be going over to there and and I do alternating weeks. So like this week, I'm running uh, a group that's doing Curse of Strahd, okay. um, and I've made Strahd an an incredibly weird incel. Um, and he <laughs> sort of is yeah, an incredibly weird incel. If you think about he's it, super creepy in my world. Autumn decided that he was going to that the the uh I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, so you're playing Strahd, close your ears, but uh the the reincarnate mm-hmm. is one of the characters. Okay. The player character. Instead of yeah. making it the NPC, she made it one of the characters. Yeah. And it has become like it's it's super scary. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. you're like, I don't want my party member to be, you know whisked away but also on the same end i don't know if my party member is going to be like all right let's do this i'm vampire let's go you know yeah, like I'll, I'll i don't do know it. with her like she, she could go either way with that yeah so um, it's pretty fun yeah so i'm doing that and then for another one i've got um i've got another crew that they started out all as cobalts and i had like a a, a wizardly cobalt that was that was kind of like getting them their quests and i ended mm-hmm. up actually creating I probably my favorite character as an NPC that I would love to one day take to someone else's table. And he's a, a wizard scribe and he's just this cute little cobalt wizard with a way too big hat. And he talks with a lisp and he, That's he awesome. writes, writes stories and, and he's a wizard. And I think right now it like, finally answer your question. I think that is my favorite. The wizard, the scribe wizard is probably my favorite. Yeah, I uh, my next character. If one of my characters dies, I'm gonna make like a a, a halfling. Um, I think it's gonna be an artificer, but uh, or wizard, 
one of the two, and he's going to be like Sam. I just want to be like kind and friendly. Because mm. I usually play like the very toxic masculine uh, fighter who's like, oh, kill everything. <laughs> uh, have you seen, have you watched uh, Dimension 20 at all? I have. Uh, I just started there. Um, they did a one shot with the Mouseline Mysteries or something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Carmichael sends me stuff all the time, and I'm always like, I need to do that. But I also have to finish my second book by March 3rd. So, yeah. You know. I they did the they did a what's it called Escape from Blood Keep, and it's got Matt Mercer playing and uh, a few others. Oh. The big one was Matt Mercer was playing, and it's basically Brendan Lee Mulligan doing uh, Lord of the Rings and like what happened to all the bad guys after <laughs> the tower fell, after the ring was destroyed, after Sauron is uh-huh. destroyed what are all of the generals of of mordor doing after that and he he kind of does some gender swaps and he makes the hobbits uh women halflings and um the sam character he does this really terrible like uh like yokel accent Uh and he's like she's like the nicest and even makes friends with the bad guys even when they hate it and he's just constantly like oh you do it you do a fine job at fighting there sir i'll give you that and it's like stop complimenting me i'm trying to murder you (laughs) that's sort of how autumn plays gilly my wife autumn plays gilly in our thing she's just always like do we have to kill the dragon that's eating all the people or can we befriend it and i'm like uh you can try yeah um yeah, so I don't know. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Play Dungeons and Dragons. Read my book. When you go to yeah. your bookstore today, go ahead and and, and uh, uh, ask them to order a copy. Because oh, uh, I'm gonna do local, that. Yeah, absolutely. Local bookstores are the best to buy from. Support your local community. Um, I'm making a note for real. Okay. Like I'm actually I'm gonna do that when I go yeah. over there. You know, order order twenty copies, whatever. You know, come to your friends. Yeah, I did pre-order <laughs> it on on Amazon. I appreciate so that. I've got the got it coming. I'm excited. I'll yeah. I'll be shutting it out when I get it. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. If 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 you like this podcast, you know, tell your friends. If you didn't, tell your enemies, and uh, <laughs> and it works out for us. Yeah. yeah. As long as people listen, we don't care who they are. Yeah. And um, people listening, if you I don't know if you put the link up or whatever, but you can go to my website tomphillipswriter.com you want to get a copy of the book and it'll there's a link right on the front page that'll take you to another page that has like every single place that you can pre-order it right now it's all over amazon and barnes and noble and target and walmart and indiebook.org and goodwill not yet not yet (laughs) yeah we went into barnes and noble yesterday and they had the 50 percent off books they're like, hey, yeah. it's 50% off books. And I was like, I don't want my book ever to be there. <laughs> my wife was like, why? Somebody will buy it. I was like, it's 50% off. That means that nobody's buying the book. And she's like, that's not true. Could be a sale. I'm like, okay. It can be uh, there. Dude, I, I got majority of my books. I got all of my Harry Potter books from Goodwill. So. I feel like, I look, I feel, uh, in all honesty, I don't. if you read the book, awesome. You know? Yeah. Don't steal it because there's publishers and people that get their paychecks and they need it. But you know, buy it, buy it cheap. You can buy it off a guy, off a van, off the in the back of a of a of an alleyway. You know, yeah. go for it. I don't care. As long Just as read he it. Paid the the publisher for that book, and he's you know oh, well, giving you know. them the the money they need. I respect the hustle. Just you know, read the book. Tell your friends. Give it to your friends. Go to libraries. Ask your your kids librarians to get it. 
<laughs> yeah, you definitely. Know? It's probably a good that's, move. I need to that's that's what I need. Uh, yeah, any just library. any libraries because that helps me out a lot and it also gets it into the hands of kids and that's our ultimate goal, right? Is to get kids to read, become yes. intelligent, make up their own minds. Don't listen to your parents they're dumb no just kidding don't <laughs> listen listen to your parents uh, no. listen um, listen to the underlord who wants to play D&D yeah about uh yes. <laughs> summon the demon read my book ma. <laughs> um, Dude, all your uh, you Tom, read my book been... you instantly become trans it's the whole thing <laughs> no uh, no I, if you do that's great i'm glad i helped do, you find I, your way whatever yeah, if, if you find if it you, you can read it, a book uh, and realize something about yourself and now the better right yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, Tom, it's been super cool to talk to you. I'm really excited for your book and Thanks. for all the stuff that you do. I'm, I'm really happy that Allie was able to kind of get us connected so that we could make this happen. Yeah, she's good people. I'll keep her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, uh, Hannah and I, and I have talked about how we're, you know, she's, she just needs to start her own like agency for just getting people connected. It just needs oh, yeah. to happen. No, she's 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 great. She's so talented. I, I, I am so surprised at how talented my friends are. Like Yeah. I just have like I said this to Jared the other day. I was like, you know, I thought for a while that every single person in the world was was like you guys because I was surrounded by super talented people. Right. And I was like, and then I started reading more and like seeing what content was out there. And I was like, wow, you guys are really talented. It's <laughs> uh, actually good. <laughs> and she laughed, he laughed, but then Jarrett made a good comment. He was like, he didn't realize how creative people were until TikTok came out. Hmm. He's like, there's so many creative people just without a platform. Yeah. And I was like, it's really cool that, that that's the, that's the good thing about the internet is that artists can create and we can share and you can, you know, I can, I can meet somebody in, in Portland that I would never have met before. You know, yeah. those, those kind of things are really awesome. Just, uh, yeah, man. How many followers you have means nothing. How much you get your art out into the world means everything. So, yeah. And for me, it's, uh, I've said this time and time again, I've made more friends since I started podcasting than the 27 years before all yeah. combined, you know, and, and like, and, and I, I make it a joke at the end, at the beginning of every show, that I'm like, I'm trying to trick people into being my friend on by coming on to my show. But I genuinely, I like to stay connected with people and it gives yeah. me that excuse to start talking to them. And, you know, with Allie, you know, Allie and I become a lot better friends. And She's it was cool. just because I was like, Hey, I like your podcast. Do you want to come on mine? And then from that point on, it's just developed more. Yeah. She's, and she's great people. You guys are great people. It works out. Uh, I'll come <laughs> back you. if you ever want me to come back or, uh, you know, you yeah, should definitely maybe, have, maybe when you your when your book comes out, we can we can have you back on and or uh, and definitely when the the next book starts to pre-sale or something, we'll have to have you back on. Yeah, I will absolutely whatever whatever I can do. And you uh, know, whenever we do, I know we always do our sci-fi special and our Halloween special. So if you ever want to try your hand at some flash fiction, yeah, we're here for you. Uh, yeah, Allie was like that. She's like, you write short horror because uh, our. Or she's like, I have a friend who has a podcast, and I was like, I don't, I don't write short horror. <laughs> I live short horror. I don't know if I. No, uh, I think yeah, with your, I, I think with your style, from what you've explained, like I, mine always ends up comedic. Like I can't do yeah. anything that's not comedic. Uh, so uh, 
I say lean into that for a funny punchline joke for 700 words, you know, and yeah, make I, it scary or, or sci-fi. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. We'll have to do something. And then also, if you ever, not to plug somebody else, but you should you should definitely have uh, Jarrett and Carmichael, especially with the DM DMing side of things. If you want to talk to a DM, they're both really, really talented. I, and, uh, they've been on the show. They've each oh. been on the show. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, we I did. That, um, we I missed did that an episode. episode. We did two episodes on Gary Gygax, and around both of those, we had Carmichael oh. and uh, Jared on. Uh, I didn't watch either, didn't listen to either one of those because I'm a terrible friend. <laughs> but I'll be doing that this afternoon. I uh, tried. I tried very hard to uh, implant myself into the Fables of Refuge world. So. Um, well, you should be. Yeah, they're actually. Um, uh, I don't know if I can say this or not. You might have to cut this out. Uh, but they're gonna do a one shot in the toadius world oh okay later on this year so that'll be fun in my in my world and they're gonna they're gonna do it carmichael's like in fact i gotta call him right after this and talk to him about it but yeah i love fables sure. if you guys don't watch fables then i don't you know should. what you're doing with your life yeah 100 percent. you should um check with him and make sure it's okay if it's okay i'll keep it in if not i i i, I mark the time i can cut that out I could just say, hey, we're talking about it. It's not a definite yet. Oh, okay, I still yeah, have to yeah. Yeah. There's the possibility. There's that, a possibility. It? I think he'll be okay with that. Um, um, all right. Possible. Well, and I think with that, we'll we'll go ahead and uh, we'll end the recording there. So, uh, Ghoul Gang, uh, make sure you go check out Tom Phillips uh, at tomphillipswriter.com. You can pre-order um, his new book now between now and june and uh and then you get a really cool middle grade book that is going to be just as good if not better than unfortunate events okay well i i thank you for that plug i hope that it's i hope that i uh end up being like let me snick it uh i i i love you let me snick it uh no thank you so much for having me and uh guys uh you know just remember words are uh, are magic so they have power and i will talk to you soon all right thanks cool gang see you later <laughs>